Welcome back to the Midweek Debrief, Season 3. I'm Jasper, and I ride a black Triumph Scrambler 900. Here's how it sounds. I'm Jed, and I ride a straight pipe Triumph Bonneville. Here's how it sounds. Join us each week as we catch up, discuss the latest headlines in the biking world, tackle a topic and answer your questions. We also have some exciting guest interviews lined up for this season, so stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Motone Customs. If you're like us and you're always looking for the next custom part for your bike, Motone has loads on offer, from headlight to taillight and everything in between. With daily worldwide dispatch, Motone are here to cater for all your custom needs. Check out what's on offer at www.motone.co.uk. Welcome to the Midweek Debrief, episode five. It's been a while, Jasper, how are you? Um, we've had a bit of a break, haven't we? Been away. We have. We've been away, and for those of you who don't know, we've actually been at the Isle of Man TT uh, for a week. So, soaking up the sun, enjoying the bikes, and a lot of this debrief will be the TT debrief. So, let's do it. Let's do it. Now, let's start by talking about your Speed Triple Double R, because the last yeah. time we spoke on the podcast, it had just been delivered, I think. It had, yeah. And we had a little catch up about how it was feeling. What do you go ahead and do with the luggage situation? Because this was going to be a bit of a tricky one. Yeah, it was. So it's a sports bike. So you're going to struggle with luggage anyway. Yeah. And uh, I had a week's worth of kit to take up to the TT. So what I did is I bought a big 60 litre backpack, like duffel bag slash backpack, and uh, loaded it up with all the stuff, put it on, tried it out. And I thought, okay, this isn't too bad. But luckily, we, we also had the, the Tiger Rally Pro 900. The support bike. The support bike, which had all the hard luggage. So the plan was just to get out of town with the rucksack and then transfer the luggage over to the Tiger, which we did. And it worked out well. So going up, luggage situation, absolutely perfect. I just had the Krieger bag for most of the trip. Yeah, it was perfect. So we met at about 9am, didn't we? Yeah. Just in West London, boosted out on the M4. We all met in Henley, had a quick coffee, loaded up the Tiger. And hit the road. And hit the road. And I was last year... Because I said to you, I was like, right, let's just take the scenic route yeah. up there. Well, there's no hurry. We'll take our time. I think our ferry was meant to be boarding at about 3.30 or something. You know, it was yeah. mid-afternoon. And so we took a roads to like towards Oxfordshire and we thought we'd head to Caffeine and Machine for, for like a, 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 sort of a relaxed lunch. And that's exactly what we did. We got there and then we all looked at our watches and it must have been about midday, maybe yeah. quarter past 12. And... I was like, hang on a sec. Let me just check when. Like, when's check-in for this ferry? And I and I looked on my I looked on my booking and it was like check-in closes at I was like three fifteen or something. Yeah. And at this point, Caffeine and Machines, Oxfordshire, Cotswolds area, and we just went on Google Maps and we put in the ferry terminal in Liverpool, hit go with motorways included, and it was like arrival three thirty. That's when the the pin suddenly dropped. That's when the pin suddenly dropped, and we looked at each other. And we were like, okay. We obviously can't have lunch. We're going to have to pretty much go non-stop yeah. to actually make the ferry. I don't quite know how we messed that up so badly. I, no, I, I, I was sure that when we left Henley, we had loads of time. I think we faffed around at breakfast too much. I think we must have done. It's, it's Everyone will know that. Anyone who's been on a trip knows that at the beginning, there's all the excitement and you end you up... You all start chatting. Yeah. yeah, you all start chatting then suddenly a couple of hours go by. And so what do we do? I mean, we went and just filled up with fuel, like we to did. the brim, yeah. headphones hit in, the hit the motorway and just off we went. And 
for anyone that knows that kind of route around Birmingham, you can either take the like regular M6 or it's like the M42, or you can take the M6 toll, yeah. which you have to pay, I think it's like four quid for a bike at ebbs and flows depending on demand. There are no speed cameras. It's actually a lovely stretch of road. It is a good stretch of road. It's perfect tarmac. There's not too much traffic. So you can get a good pace on that stretch of road and we just beelined it. How was, let's, let's quickly talk about this. How was the speed triple feeling on the motorway? Once you dropped the bags off and you were kind of in the zone, how, how did it feel? Great. Yeah. As long as you accept that you're in a an aggressive riding position, yeah. it's fine. You know, you, you sort of use your core to take the weight off the wrists and the wind helps with that anyway. So once you're on the motorway and you're cruising, it, it goes motorway speed so easily. Mm. You could quite easily sit a fair chunk above motorway speed on that bike and it just it just wouldn't stress just it. Just chilled. Yeah, it's interesting because people always say, oh, well, if you get a sports bike, you've got all the weight on your wrists and this, that and the other. I was actually quite envious of you sitting on that sports <laughs> bike because you're just kind of cruising. And for me on the Scrambler, I had a bit of luggage on the back. Not that that was really a problem because it wasn't that, I wasn't weighed down yeah. by it. But I'll be honest, that three and a bit hour stint that we did from basically Oxford to Liverpool was was tough. Yeah, I, found, was. I found that really tough. I mean, everyone found it tough in a way. With, it looked like you could happily cruise at 90. Yeah. Even the bike, a, the even bike a was ton. perfect. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and and that just shows like the disparity between those big cable bikes and then the likes of the Bonnies. Yeah. You know, you can sit at 90 on a, on a Scrambler or a Bonnie, but it's just doing it's, it for more than like 20 oh, minutes. It's like is, a struggle. Yeah, it's really tough. And so, uh, you know, I had one section, I think, where, I, where you guys went ahead and there was the toll bit. And actually doing a toll on your bike is actually quite inconvenient. It's such a faff because normally you have your, you have to pay, but you can't use your phone obviously because yeah. you're supposed to be driving. So you have to use your card. And when you're on a bike, especially for me, so I have my leathers on, head to toe leathers, and I've got my wallet stuffed in some zip up pocket somewhere. Yeah, I've got exactly. my gloves on. So you're rolling up to the toll, trying to prepare. You're like, okay, hands off the bars and quickly yeah. get the gloves off and stuff them in the dash. And then you're rolling up to the toll thing and then you, you, you're rummaging around for your wallet and you can't find it. And there's cars behind you that have been queuing for hours and they're, um, annoyed at you because you've just gone straight to the front yeah. so they're beeping that gets you all flustered and then we actually had so I, I approached the toll with our friend on his Ducati Sport Classic and I was trying to pay and it wasn't working so he was like okay let me let me try so he gets his card and he puts it in the card slot and it just eats his card and it oh, doesn't really? spit it out so it, then we're using another card to try and fish his card out of the thing Oh no! and then eventually he was like okay fine you know what just get another card contactless it worked and then we set off. And as we set off, I didn't know if he clocked, but he actually spat his card out and oh, he just left it. Dear. Yeah. So he had to cancel his card. But yeah, you had to pull over and then you put the gloves back on. It's just, a, it's a faff. Yeah, toll roads are one of those weird things where if you're in a hurry, you know, you're cruising at great speeds. And then when you get to the actual payage bit, it's like- It all catches up with you. Yeah, it all catches up. You're, just, you, you're still in a rush. So, um, but anyway, we ended up getting to, to Liverpool, to the ferry terminal in time. Yeah. And we had plenty of time. The The- the tiger mule was was quite a bit behind 20 maybe 20 <laughs> minutes behind is like a sort of like main freight uh but also made it and what were your first impressions when you saw you know, all the bikes queued up for the ferries oh, weather was beautiful yeah it's wild i mean you, everyone's just you can feel the energy in the air yeah. everyone's buzzing to get to the island yeah and just have a full week or however long they're staying for of just bikes yeah, there's something kind of amazing about how it's not like there's just a bridge over there or a tunnel. It's like the yeah. fact that everyone has to get on a boat is... And it's a good, you know, it's a three-hour ferry, so it's not like a short... Uh, yeah, I always, I always forget how far the Isle of Man is away from mainland UK. Yeah, it's crazy. You always think it's like the Isle of Wight and this little strip of, of water, but yeah. it's not. When you look at it on the map, it's like bang in the middle of the Irish it's Sea. It's further than the, the Channel Crossing. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I was expecting, because I've done, I've done the Isle of Wight, and I got on the ferry for that, 
and it's quite a decent sized ferry and there's loads of seating and they had the huge top deck with benches etc yeah and you get on the the isle of man ferry and everyone's sort of ushered into these little sort of booths and seats and stuff and yeah by the time you get on if you're not the first one there like two hours in advance you're not getting a seat no i think they i think they sold more tickets than they had seats on yeah definitely thing. and then the outside decking you've got like a little balcony at the back of the boat and then on top you've got just sort of a square almost like a prison yard with no seats so you just sit on the floor yeah it wasn't great i mean to be fair the, the vibes were, were, were great on the ferry the one thing that was tricky is like i think even if there were seats on the inside i wouldn't have sat down there because once at once like 300 bikers so take yeah once 300 bikers take their boots off oh, the smell it's just <laughs> horrible yes yeah, so it's like you queue up have a pint and then it's up onto the deck and yeah. the weather was just so stunning it was like a lovely evening and and off we went and yeah. the ferry is about three hours three and a half hours which to be honest is actually quite a long time i think once you're chilling with a beer in hand once you're chilling with a beer in hand it's not it's a problem. All good yeah exactly um yeah and so we turn up into douglas harbour oh it was such a nice evening the sun was going sun, down yeah. and there was people itching to get off the boat and it's such a it's a scenic harbour actually there's a little castle just situated in the water there and it's really nice so we they give you the call over the tunnel and they're like, all riders slash drivers return to your vehicles everyone goes down and the roar inside that ship when all the bikes are firing up because you've got all these bikes there's it's like two stories of bikes. Yeah, there must be 400 of them. Yeah. Maybe more. And they're fully loaded. It's literally tire to tire. These bikes are stacked up. And when you come out of the, the stairwell from the cabins, and you, you can just smell the, the petrol and the fumes and the roar and everyone's revving and they're ready to go and they're fully loaded up with luggage. And then the ramp goes down and the bikes just start pouring out. Yeah, it's seriously cool. And the evening that we had arrived was uh wednesday and this was like halfway into practice week yeah. or qualifying if you like and one of the things that's that gets people so excited is that when we came into harbour we could see the chopper yeah you can hear oh, yeah yeah yeah. you can hear the 600s because it was the sidecars racing yeah. at that time and then you can see the chopper going back and forth from the mountain section to yeah. grandstand you know with the cameras and stuff and it's just like it's that feeling of like get me off this ferry and let's let's go and watch some racing and we did and we did exactly yeah yeah it was like dinner no accommodation no, no straight to a corner and and just and see just what's going yeah. on yeah and i think that sums up like how lovely the tt is in terms of how friendly it is for just going and watching the fact that you just pull up somewhere peer yeah. through a gate and then off, and then yeah. the riders are right there you know that's it so what were your first impressions of the sidecars i mean it's not like the sort of most exciting yeah, sidecars aren't my go-to to watch i mean yeah but you know it's still cool to see yeah. this road completely barriered off and shut off yeah and all the padding everywhere and all the 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 logos for the different brands the sponsors yeah. and stuff and it's like a little racetrack yeah it is it's it's it's, it's a completely different vibe when it's a road that has been turned into a track yeah. it was it's, the corner we we're watching what corner was it, it was um, so it's called quarter bridge and it. it's basically the first proper corner of the track they come down bray hill up over Agosleep leap and then down into quarter bridge it's just a sharp right hander it's quite a slow corner and it's on a mini roundabout yeah <laughs> which is so bizarre yeah yeah so yeah so we so we, we watched that um, for, you know, for 20 minutes or whatever, and then it was over because we only got in at about 9 p.m. It was late, yeah. Yeah, 8, 9 p.m. And uh, cruise to our accommodation. We, you've probably heard, like most people say, you should camp at the Isle of Man. It's like, a, it's just one of those things. Yeah. Like, oh, if you're going to go camp, load your bikes up, da, da, da. We didn't camp because, no. you know, we wanted wanted a shower. And also when you're out on the bikes all day, you just going you back just to a camp. comfy yeah, sofa to sit yeah. on and chill out and 100%. have a beer. And so, yeah, we see we had quite a nice setup. And we were quite fortunate to get it, I think, because it gets booked up 
pretty quickly oh for sure like if you want to go next year book now whenever you hear this like yeah, it's it just now. gets booked up so so quickly it's no joke yeah for sure so first morning we were just up and out pretty much yeah straight away we went, to the, went to the supermarket bought a bit of food like like loaded up the panniers with all the groceries yeah, the tiger took all the groceries yeah the tiger was 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 great and then and then we just kind of hit the road didn't we it's really nice to just explore the island and now the reason we went so we arrived on the wednesday of qualifying and the reason behind that is that they only start practice at like 6 30 7 p.m and yeah. so you have the whole day to explore the island and kind of cruise around whereas during race week they they start racing kind of early like roads close at yeah. 10 a.m so you you have to kind of find a spot and stay there so yeah we got out and about and what were your first impressions of riding because we pretty much went straight to the course we did and, yeah Rode and, the course. and did a loop of it yeah yeah what were your first impressions it's it's interesting to ride it at road speed and approach some of the corners at road speed because it suddenly falls into place that the speeds that they're doing through those corners is completely bonkers. Yeah. And you, you know, there's, is it Balfour Bridge? Yeah. That left-hander. And when you hit that, the road speed there is 50 miles an hour. And when you hit that, it's like a divot in a left-hander. Oh, Barragaro. Barragaro, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Barragaro. Um, you hit that left-hander at 50 miles an hour and you just almost can't picture them doing it over 100 because it's quite tight. Yeah, it's really tight. So you have this experience that you go around the circuit and it's all road speed, but then you get to the mountain section. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. So this is where I could finally sort of unleash the uh, the triple. For the first time. For the first time. Yeah, nice. So is it from, uh, it's from Gooseneck, isn't it? Well, pretty much. I mean, Ramsey Hairpin is like the official start of yeah. the... Yeah, so you come out of Ramsey, it's a small village, and then there's, there's a literal switchback Hairpin yeah. and you must have five or six police officers there they've got cones speed it's all guns. The, yeah speed guns it's like that's the like last bit where you have to think about what speed you're doing yeah and then from there on it sort of snakes up the hill and um and and then every, all the trees kind of clear out and then you have this gooseneck which is a, a right-hander almost it kind of feels like a hairpin when you're on it even though it's not do you yeah. know what i mean and then and then it's national speed limit which on the isle of man is however it's fast uncapped. you can go yeah so that was the first time i actually properly opened up the triple on some twisties yeah and uh yeah, that bike just blew me away. It was, everything about it just felt planted. You could feel the suspension because it's got electronic suspension, which actually adjusts the damping depending on the riding conditions. Like in real time. In real time. Yeah. So it's it's like tech wizardry, but the bike just felt planted the whole time and you, you get on it and you can feel the front wheel picking up in first and second and third. And then I was in full leather kit and I've done a bit of riding on sports bikes and stuff before. So you think... I was cautious on the first time around because you see these corners and you can't see around them. You've got one side is just an edge, mm. you know, a grassy hill, like a cliff edge almost. And then the other side, you've got like a stone wall or just more grass up the hill. And you come into some of these corners and they're blind. So you can't see around them. So you're slowing down to anticipate quite a sharp corner. And it's only when you actually get really close to it and you see around it, you're like, oh, you could actually hit that quite a bit faster. So first run of the mountain road, we stopped halfway didn't we at bungalow yeah we stopped at bungalow yeah and uh which is a great place to stop yeah it's a really it had good to spot. be done yeah they've got that victory cafe up on the hill yeah it's, it's awesome it's a good spot to watch we did actually watch from there one of the days later on um but no the mountain road was just phew, i'm just gutted that i couldn't do it more yeah it's unbelievable i think so for those of you who don't know the mountain road is is probably it's the fastest section of the track and it's like probably the last five ten miles yeah. of the course and 
during the two weeks of the TT, they open it one, it's like open to one way traffic. So you've got two lanes to work with. But what it does mean is that at any point, if you want to kind of go back on yourself, you have to come off on a side road and then yeah. work your way back into Ramsey. So it's kind of, it's not annoying, but it's, it means that like, if you want to stop somewhere, it's not like you can, you can do that and then nip back to the start. You no. really have, if you're going to do it, you might as well do it all in one. Yeah. Uh, but it does take a bit of a while to then work your way back around because you have to go sort of around the coastal the scenic road. Route. But the place we stopped, um, Bungalow, is amazing because it's like a, a kind of a left and a right. It's almost like a chicane. Yeah. And then just dead straight up the hill and there's like a steel bridge over the top where you can just go and stand. And we must have stood there for about 40 minutes just we did. watching bikes go by. And it's it's super cool seeing bikes that you, you've you read about in newspapers and you just know about generally. Yeah but then being ridden at full pace by general public. Yeah, I know. And people were flying up that hill. I mean, we saw yeah. every single sports bike you could think of all the way from early 80s through to present day. And it's just, oh, I mean, some of those, we were in awe at the, the Tuonos and the RSV4s because they've got the quick shifter on and every time they shift gear, you get this bang. And when they were sending it up the hill, we're standing right behind them on the steel bridge. So you just get the full exhaust nerve, all the bikes going up. And some people, I mean, there was guys on dad bikes, you know, yeah. GSs, Tigers, who are absolutely sending it. Yeah, that's one thing that they don't tell you in the brochure is that if you're going to go as the general public and you're going to ride the, the unrestricted section of the course, if you're like me and your bike probably won't do 100 miles an hour in one straight section of the course, even going 100 miles an hour, people will fly past you yeah. at like 170. And it makes you almost feel like you're going, like you're standing still or uh -huh. you're going like 20 miles an hour. And not all of those bikes are BMWs and Ninjas and, you know, yeah. really quick bikes. A lot of them are like Multistradas or GSs. Yeah, they fly. Yeah, and they don't, they don't give you that much space. Sometimes they, no. they almost sort of brush your, your, your right shoulder. And I don't have mirrors on my bike. And every time I got overtaken, I literally got a fright. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Because you don't know someone's coming up behind you. And also, if, let's say, for example, because the road is open to the general public, so there might be like some Tesco van doing a delivery. Yeah, exactly. When I was going to overtake it, I might glance back and think, okay, the road's clear. And then I might do one more check and there's suddenly a guy there. Yeah, it's a pretty sketchy road. And one of the reasons we couldn't ride it more was because probably every other day it was shut. Yeah, shut due to accidents. Or yeah. So instances. whenever, yeah. So whenever they have a crash, they they close the road, and they usually close it when someone's died. Yeah. Which is kind of sad, actually. I think there were it must have been yeah, it was closed quite a lot. Like it there were so many times where we'd work our way to the beginning of the mountain section, and it was just shut. Yeah. So you have to turn around and find another route. But the good thing mm -hmm. about the island is there's just so many good roads to explore off the circuit, and most of the tarmac unless you're going down these single track country roads most of the tarmac's impeccable there wasn't really any potholes yeah it was all surfaced really well and you've got these banked corners that just sweep mm. from left to right left to right and then you've got views over the coastline and the hills and so there's just there's plenty of riding to do yeah it's amazing i think that's the number one thing i noticed when i got back on mainland uk is quite how poor the roads are yeah, here. No. like you know, for a biker, having potholes and divots and gravelly bit, you know, that's actually not ideal. You really don't want that. No. And that's bas that basically sums up the whole of London. Whereas the Isle yeah. of Man, it's clear that most of their budget goes into tarmac. Yeah. And that is so nice. So it's really just a great place to go and ride around, let alone watch any racing, yeah, exactly. I, I think. Um, and also the fact that 
national speed limit means unrestricted. It's like lots of people think that it's just the course that you ride that you can really go for it. But it's no. basically any road on the island. That has national speed limit, yeah. Yeah. And there was one particular road down in the south of the island. If you've been there, you'd know it. And it's just dead straight for probably two miles. You know the one? Yeah. And there was an instant on the first night where we were cruising and I was I was up front and we hit this. We I think we were, we had a car in front of us and the car was yeah. turning in. And we sort of went down to second gear, maybe 30 miles an hour. And the national speed limit sign was there. And it's just dead straight. So I thought, right, let's give it the beans. And I was just flying through the gears, you know, up to a ton. And then, you know, when you just feel sirens behind you, you don't hear that. You just feel the presence <laughs> of blue lights behind you. This and was I, funny. And I look behind me and it's kind of dusk. So and all I see is the blue lights. And I just think, oh, I so, thought the one time. So I was behind Jasper when he sent it off and I've got mirrors I had mirrors on the triple so I looked back and I saw the blue lights I was like nope I'm gonna wait so I just see him send it into, I can't do anything he's gone he's yeah, gone there's no way of letting me know so he disappeared into the distance and then the blue lights come flying past and I see it's actually an ambulance it's like a Ford people carrier as an ambulance so I'm like okay this is gonna give him a bit of a fright <laughs> and I just see this ambulance disappear into the distance and then it was about two or three minutes later we caught up to you and uh, I could tell by the look on your face that you just had a mini heart attack. Oh, it's the, it's, it's the worst feeling. It's the worst feeling. I mean, it's funny because, like, I knew, you know, yes, I was doing 100 miles an hour or whatever. Um, not that that's that fast on the Isle of Man anyway. But when you see blue lights, you still get that feeling. You, yeah. know, you know it's all legit. It's also worth saying that, yes, there's loads of unrestricted bits of the island. Where the where there is a speed limit, whether it's thirty, forty, or fifty, you they have to stick to. They it. police that, and yeah. we learned that on the first day, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, literally, was... we, we were on our way back from the shops. Yeah, and it's like you come around the corner, and there's 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 the fuzz with the with the speed, with the speed gun. gun, and they they don't mess around. No, every single section of road, they must have had them put, like posted up everywhere because we saw one every day. Yeah, at least one, maybe two. Yeah, it got to it got to the point where I think I said to you guys, I was like. If it's 30, I'm going 29. Like, I'm not speeding yeah. anywhere. Because we actually had a couple of friends who we did the mountain section with and they set off before us. We were setting up camera gear and, you know, just waiting for them. So they set off. And then we saw them at the other end after we'd ridden it. They had these yellow card stickers on oh, their this bikes. Is and we said to them, what, who gave you the stickers? And they were like, no, it was the plod. The plod gave us the stickers because they were going approaching Ramsey hairpin where they were sitting with the speed guns. They were going just over 30 miles an hour. So they got pulled in and they said, listen, you were speeding. Just watch your speed. This is like a warning. And it's like some uh, goofy looking police officer with his hat on sideways. And it's a yellow card. So they had them slapped on their number plates. I couldn't, it must've been a joke. I mean, it was just a ridiculous no, it was ridiculous to be, to be handed out. But I think, you know, on the whole, the police, you know, they've, they've got to take care of the residents on the island. Yeah, like, exactly. I can understand if you're someone that lives on the island and you're wanting to get about your daily business, you know, you want to kind of know that in f sections that are 30 miles an hour, people are actually doing that, I think, because yeah. pe people do fly along. Like, I think there are a lot of people that maybe come from the continent and just think the whole place is a racetrack. They just send it. Yeah, and just send it around every corner. Yeah. And, you know, you're always going to get that. So, uh, but cruising around the island is just, is such a, is such a pleasure, like for, yeah. for that period of time. And I think one of the things that feels really unique is the fact that not only are they really good riding roads, but there's bikes everywhere. Yeah, and it makes such a difference. It's not like, you know, when you're in the Cotswolds or somewhere else, like, you know, maybe you'll see another biker and you'll give them a nod. But here, it's like you don't nod to anyone because every other vehicle is no, just you a biker going the other way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You do your necking, and it's it's almost like ten bikes to every car for sure. So you, you just boom, 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 and then you get the car, and then more bikes, more bikes, and then even filtering, you'd get congestion of queues of bikes trying to filter. It's bonkers. alongside the cars. 
Yeah, and the cars are actually really good over there. I think they they probably just know that for the two weeks, they, it's almost like just give way to the bikes, let, yeah. the, let the bikes through. And, you know, it can be kind of frustrating sometimes when you're doing the when you're riding the course and you're in a 50 mile an hour section which is kind of most of the course yeah sometimes you'll get stuck behind like a van and then they're, they're going 40 and you want to just open up and you know you can't yeah now the first place we watched was Barragaro. yes now this is on the kind of west side of the island it's like a downhill and it's like a kink to the left with a wall on either side and what were your okay so we we kind of clambered through the bushes to find a spot and this <laughs> is an adventure yeah if anyone is coming to the isle of man and they're expecting it to be like a grand prix like forget about it it's no. not it's you you have to sort of push your bike into a bush and then find a bush for yourself yeah to, and, and to sort of snap a few twigs so you can poke your head out yeah, that's, that's a bit it. what it's like and this was the first time i'd been to this exact spot you know we we crossed the road went down a couple of fields found a little spot it was quite busy even though yeah we it felt like we, we, thought we got there earlish but yeah it turns out people sit there a few hours before and they get the lawn chairs out and they make a barbecue and they sit there from the morning yeah they spend they, the whole day waiting yeah they've got the makita radio going yeah. they've got the gym beam that's the, it it's actually yeah it's a lot of fun especially when the weather's so good yeah so we nestle ourselves into a bush and then you know they you hear on the radio it'll be like right and dean harrison is off you know you, you hear it on the radio that the first person's gone and it's within five minutes you hear the chopper you hear the chopper and that's when you know so tell me your your first reactions when when the first bike came through yeah so i first time at the tt so i hadn't seen it before so i didn't know i knew they were fast but i didn't know what to expect and it's unique at the tt because compared to any other race you can't get that close to trackside yeah you know if you're at bsb or gp whatever you're in the grandstands you're in designated watching areas that are far from the circuit so you hear the bike coming in the distance whether it's a 600 or a thousand, you hear that, that roar mm. coming over the hill. And the next thing you know, it's next to you. And the bikes fly past almost quicker than you can turn your head. And you get this blast of wind that hits you in the chest and all the hedges are shaking. And your brain almost can't compute how they're in control of a bike at that speed. Yeah. Because it's just not, and they're slowing down for a, a corner. So you hear the downshifts, but the, they're not really slowing down. It's, they must approach that corner at 150 at yeah. least. Yeah, rapid. They fly through it. And to be clear, I mean, we're standing with our, like leaning up against a kind of a fence, right? And then there's a short curve that must be no more than eight inches. And <laughs> then they are taking the outside line. So, I mean, if you stuck your hand out, you could touch them. Yeah. You know. They're seriously close. It just, I think it demonstrates just how like unhinged it is when you're actually there, when you're actually <laughs> there in person. It's like, because, and this is what I always say to people when they're like, oh yeah, the Isle of Man TT, I've seen videos. And I'm like, yeah, videos are amazing, like perfect, but yeah. you have to go and experience right. it. There is, when you have all the other senses involved and the fact that you can feel you can it. feel it. That's yeah. the main thing. It's that feeling it. I mean, I think I said in the one clip we got that it almost feels like they're breaking the sound barrier. Yeah. Because they punch through the air and it hits you and it's like, whoa. Yeah, I've got I've got a video of I, I um when the first bike was coming, I was like, right, I've got to record Jed's first reaction because it's just <laughs> it's just always priceless because it's quite funny because you're in the video and you're kind of like chilling on like leaning against the fence, like beer right, in hand, beer in hand. What's this going to be? And then in real time, as the bike goes past, you it's like oh, and it's yeah, what a, what an amazing clip. So we'll have to post that at some yeah, point so we'll, people we'll. can so people can see. Yeah, so we had um we had a few other people joining us and one of them was on a Thruxton twelve hundred. Yeah. And then the other guy had come over from the US yeah. and he had rented a bike from Raceways in London, which is like one of one of the few I think it's places. the only places, yeah, you yeah, can get like, Bonneville. Yeah. 
And he had been promised a T100, and he had turned up at the place and been given a Bonneville SE. Yeah. Which is like the sort of bottom of the pecking order Bonneville. Yeah, light blue with the mag wheels. Yeah, exactly. And the pea shooters. Yeah, and I think he'd actually, he'd removed the pea shooters pretty much, you know, straight afterwards. And so he turned up and um, with this thing absolutely howling. And, you know, when you look at some bikes and you're just like, that has had a hard life. Yeah. A little bit like when you sometimes look at people and you they just look weathered. Yeah. Like, this this was the same. I was amazed at how that bike kept going. Man. And he was just he was just going for it. And respect. It's know? a testament to the reliability of the Bonnevilles. Or that, re- that platform. At one point, we were riding along and he pulled over and there was just oil, like, spewing out of the, the filler cap. Yeah, and loose. I was like, oh, no, the filler cap came loose, thing smoking, and it just tightened it back up. And it was like every time he went to start it, it's like, I've only heard my starter motor crank, like, once or twice before the bike actually kicks up. And this thing was just going, oh, no, 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 yeah. over and over again with black smoke puffing out. Yeah, it was quite a machine. Fair play that it made it. It was. So we had quite a good mix of bikes, actually. So we yeah, had you we and did. your scrambler. I yeah. was on the triple... We had another friend on a Ducati Sport Classic 1000. And then we had the Thruxton 1200, the Bonneville SE, and the Tiger 900. Yeah, it was a really good spread. It was a really good spread. And then, yeah, in our Airbnb, there was also a guy with a Suzuki GSX-S 1000 yeah. and another guy with a Super Duke. So, you know, you go around the island, there's just bikes parked everywhere. everywhere. It's just, you know, it's like you're in a sort of cake shop. And the, the promenade is, seems to be the number one spot because there's a, hotels that line the beachfront. And outside every hotel, it's just bikes. So you can always just take a walk. It's almost like what we did at Bike Shed Show. Yeah. Walking down the parking, you walk down the promenade and you're looking at other people's bikes and just admiring them. I mean, there was a few guys. We saw one particular Ducati Panigale at Craig Bar at the pub mm. in the parking. And the guy was a serious track day rider. So he'd removed his rear brake from the foot and he had a thumb brake. He had all the, the track day switches and stuff. And you could tell it was a serious bit of kit. Yeah. You know, let's just be clear. I know there's no other way of saying this, but if you're not into sports bikes, good luck going to the TT and not coming back wanting a sports bike. It's weird how, yeah. how you go. That. And I think it's just because when you see the when you see the races and even the general public just absolutely having it on those machines, you just can't help but want one. You get bitten by the bug straight away. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think it's you know like I've I always find like when I'm riding on the road around the UK generally, I enjoy it. And there's not many opportunities where I'm like right focused i'm really gonna focus on uh focus on this stretch of road and and maybe do it again and learn the corners and stuff yeah. and, you know you just kind of go from a to b whereas on the tt course like it's quite a small island so you learn the roads like within the first couple of days yeah and then you'll be on a stretch and you're like okay i remember this is a left right over the bridge you know whatever and and you can really kind of focus on your riding so I, I would say that if anyone wants to improve their road riding like i personally found that i think my riding improved massively over the course of the week yeah. just from being on the tarmac and kind of focusing yeah i mean on the triples, I hadn't really ridden sports bikes properly for at least a year. Uh, my SV has been mainly used just for commuting around town, and I haven't actually made the effort to go out and enjoy the roads because I've been on my Bonneville and around town, it's perfect. So to actually be on a sports bike on the open road again was really good. You know, I got to get a feel for it, and again, my riding, I built back up my road riding skill, and by the end of the week, I felt so comfortable on that bike but it it was an easy bike to ride mm. it made it easy to get back into the flow and i always felt super planted the super courses were always sticky always hot so it just inspired confidence and it was it was the perfect bike for the job next year i'm gonna have to up it yeah see if i can get my hands on an aprilia or an r1 or a ducati or something because 
it's just got to be on a sports bike. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting because so many you hear so often people saying, well, there's no point buying a sports bike. You can't use them on real roads. You can only use them on tracks. Way too much power. Da, 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 da. But if you go somewhere like the TT, that is the perfect bike. Yeah. If, you know, provided you can ride it. 100%. That is, it just looked like you were having a lot of fun. I was enjoying every second. Yeah. And, and there you go. So it's like, out of the group, there were six of us in the group. I think the majority of us went home being like, what sports bike am I going to buy? Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. And we've already got a friend who's viewing one this afternoon. This afternoon. Yeah, so as soon as we hit stop on the recorder, we're, <laughs> we're going over. Yeah, we're going to head over there and see what he's see what see what rat he's bought. Yeah. That'll be pretty interesting. Yeah, so there was one of the days when there's a corner there's a corner called Windy Corner yes. on the mountain section of the course and it's a lovely sweeping right-hander. There's loads of tarmac. It's got the kind of the sort of dashed lines and the, you know, it's just extended yeah, so there's really loads wide. of space. It's really wide. When it's when it's one way, you've just got so much space to corner. Yeah. And it kind of feels like a 90-degree right-hander going down the hill, but it's banked with you. And I've never watched there before. And I said to the lads, I was like, I think that'd be a really cool place to watch. Yeah. And I was zooming in on the map. And it's one of these things where wherever you choose to watch, you've either got to decide whether you're on the inside or the outside of the track. Depending on the race times. Depending on the race times, exactly. Because say, for example, the roads close at 10 a.m. and they reopen at 9 p.m. Yeah, That's some pretty much long all days. day. Yeah. yeah, 100%. So if you get stuck somewhere where you can't really leave and you don't have food and water, you know, you can be kind of stranded yeah. in a way. So on this windy corner, I was looking on the map and I was like, okay, I think there's a road we can... It's, it's clear that there's a way we can get up to it from, from behind. Like a back way, yeah. Like a back way. So it means that if maybe we watch two hours of racing and then want to escape and go somewhere else, then we can do that. So chuck the quad lock on and uh, hit go. And we're cruising along through uh, a small town called Laxey, which is all villaging, which is just stunning on yeah. the east coast of the island. And then we take a kind of sharp switch back, and it's just one of the steepest roads I've ever ridden on a yeah. bike. It just went straight up. And it was, it was gravelly. Yeah, it was gravelly. It was suddenly the quality of the tarmac. Yeah, my, the traction control was not having any of it. I, I peeled off onto that road, and the bike just cut all the power. Yeah. Because it just felt the gravel. But anyway, we, we kept plugging on. And it was a really narrow single track road the whole way up. And it sort of snaked its way up the back of the mountain. And uh, it was, you know, plants were overgrowing into mm. the road. And even a couple of rogue sheep were just sort of chilling in the verges. And we made our way up. And then the road suddenly took a sharp right. And straight ahead of us was this, like a, a stony gravel hill climb, like a green lane. And we stop. And... Oh, it was classic. <laughs> Jasper <My> looks back. <laughs> I I look back and and because all I'm seeing on my Google Maps is the blue line going straight ahead, yeah. And and there was no there was no two ways about it. It was very clear that that was the route. And straight away I realised, yeah, okay, it's a green lane. And I realised that on my Google Maps I've got that thing turned on that says, you know, allow all roads. All roads, yeah. So my first thoughts were, okay, so last week, uh, uh, two weeks ago when we when we last recorded. I was saying to you, should I put some road tires on the scrambler? Yeah. Because we're doing the TT and I'm not going to be anywhere near dust or dirt. You know, I'm just going to be on tarmac. And so my first thought was, oh, let's have it. Like, I'm yeah. so glad I kept the knobblies on because we're going to have to go up here. I look at you and I said, you know, direct you like, no, I'm not going up that no, on the speed triple, not. which is fair enough. Because in the moment you think, oh, well, could we? But I mean, that was just, it was a gnarly track. It was, it was, you know, it was challenging for any sort of bike that's not an enduro bike. Yeah, for sure. And also because when I looked at it on the map, it said five minute drive, but it said 45 minute walk. Uphill. Yeah. In the heat. It was beaming sun all day. So it was hot. So it was about, we had about 10 minutes before racing started. So it wasn't like, oh, we'll just go to another spot or we'll no, we rethink had to our get plans. Up there. We had to get up there. And so I was like, right lads, well, 
I've got the bike that can, in theory, make it up there. So yeah. we'll just have to ferry. I'll just have to ferry people up <laughs> one by one. If it only takes five minutes, that's not too bad. So you're there in your full leathers. You park up the speed triple, put the put the steering lock on, and jump on the back of the jump on the back of the scrambler. And we must have only got about two hundred meters before. Yo, it, was we, the, we, <laughs> it was the worst pillion experience I've ever had. Well, that's that's a, an honor to take that. I was bouncing out of the seat, but fair play of keeping it um, under control because it was. It was like fist-sized rocks that were all quite loose. So, you know, it was quite a challenge. Yeah, and also, especially when you've been focusing on, like, road riding and having a relaxed hand position. You get out of the the mindset. Suddenly it's like, right, I need to stiffen up the elbows and into this zone. And so we got up to the first gate, you know, and you have to open one of these sheep gates and then close it and stuff. And the dude on the Bonneville SE was was following on our tail. (laughs) And he's got that thing, he's redlining it, and those Michelin tires are just spinning around. And he, he made it up to this section where we kind of pulled over and i think i said to you i was like mate this is this is going to be tough yeah. it's going to be tough we're going to need to rethink our options and so we walked down to see what the others were doing whether maybe some of them had come up on bikes and stuff and then we see this uh this car it's like a honda crv yeah um sort of four-wheel drive thing rocking from side to side as it was making its way up this hill with hands poked out the windows <laughs> holding waving. melting soleros yeah. <laughs> And because uh, my father was sort of all throughout the trip kept buying boxes of Soleros and offering them to people, yeah, uh, which went down extremely well. I think Solero sales on the island peaked. Yeah, they must have done. And anyway, so there must have been some passerby that was coming and said, you know, do you want a lift? And it was kind of old school bashing. It was like, right, Solero for the driver, Solero for the passenger, and exactly. we'll sit in the back. And so I said to you, I was like, mate, can you just jump in the boot? I, it's got to be, yeah, more, it's got to be more it, comfortable oh, than being on the back of yeah, the scrambler. So it was a bumpy ride up. But they were there was three of the guys we were with in the back seats with their soleros munching away, yeah. and then the box of choc ices came out afterwards. So I was in the boot with the choc ice, <laughs> and my phone filming out the back window because what an experience! Yeah, for sure. And the CRV on road tires just plugged up this hill, <laughs> and some of the terrain was. I was thinking, yeah, fair enough for a defender or something, but this CRV just it sent it up the hill, and you know it saved us a huge walk. And fair enough to those guys for letting us jump in, but definitely, definitely. And, and we got up to the top and it was like there must have been like 40 enduro bikes like they were they were the only bikes that had all actually made the it up there all lying on the grass and you know i think it's fair to say it was a pretty cool spot to watch it was it was a great spot because you see them come down the hill from the previous corner downshift 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 pile in and their knee down around this right hander and then they just send it into the distance and it's it's so cool seeing them decked over on the bikes like that and you get such a good view because it's so open up there so you can really see that their cornering technique and how they come into the corner. And I actually tried following the, the line they take Oh yeah. when I did the mountain section again. Because the first time I did it, I was a bit wary of bikes on the outside of me. So I just stayed on the inside to overtake any other bikes. But when I did it the next time around, after we'd watched there, and I could see the road was clear all the way through the corner, I was like, okay, let's just follow their line. And I must have added about 40 miles an hour to my cornering speed wow. just by following their line. And the bike felt incredible. Planted, the supercourses were um, sticky. And you can hang off the side of the bike and you feel the, the G-force pushing the bike into the ground and pushing you down with it. Uh, but yeah, it's a fantastic corner. Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, pretty much most evenings, once we'd finished watching the racing, it was like, all you want to do is get on the bike and then... It was like evening cruise time. Evening cruise, exactly. And so... I mean, let's just put it this way. The the weather was amazing. Yeah, the whole time we were there, it was just blue skies and sun. I didn't see a single cloud pretty much all week, apart from on the last day where it was a bit overcast for the morning. But nevertheless, I mean, it was so hot. Yeah. We we were, 
a lot of the, like our considerations as to where we were going to stand and watch the racing was where is the sun because we don't want it we in want our shade. faces. Yeah, for sure, because we all got quite sunburned and stuff. And the last thing you think about taking to the Isle of Man is sun cream. Exactly. And yeah, so it was actually like come 8 p.m. was the perfect time to ride because it cooled down a little bit. Yeah. The roads were still warm, but everything was a bit more quiet and, and the sun was just like completely glorious. Some of the sunsets were stunning. You get the full purple sky. The sun disappearing over the horizon. You can look at the sea. Mm. You've got these rolling hills around you. And it was just incredible. But I think there was one slight issue that probably you faced more than anyone. Yeah. Which is the uh, the dark visor. Oh, the dark visor. So I didn't actually think that we'd be out that late riding. Because I thought, you know, we're going to be doing a full day of watching the racing. We're going to be riding around in the mornings and then a bit in the afternoon. And because it's that much further north, it gets darker much later. So we were only experiencing proper darkness when was it around 11 ish or yeah like 10 10 30 11 p.m which is quite late yeah which is really late but we were still out cruising at that at that time yeah we were doing having dinner at like midnight every day our whole rhythm was off so uh the one evening cruise we did we went out fairly late and two of us had tinted visors and because you're in the countryside essentially there's loads of bugs and stuff flying around so you have to keep the visor down and there was one stage where i just couldn't see couldn't see a thing. We we entered this forested section, so then you've got the the extra shade from the trees, and it just went whew, so much darker. And I'm riding, following the tail light of the Ducati Sport Classic, and uh, we head into this one corner, and all of a sudden it tightens up, and I was not prepared for it. So I was like, "Here we go!" Set up on the bike, full handful of front brake. Luckily, it's got the the twin radial calipers on the front and ABS because you know you felt the ABS kick in, and it stopped me in good time. But I was like, okay, let's have a breather. No more evening riding, I think. From then on, it was visor up, squinting to try and stop the mosquitoes from getting in my eyes. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because when you go for an evening cruise like that, the the light goes from being quite visible to suddenly... It's you like get, that. Yeah, you get that kind of blue glow in the sky, but actually you can't see much on the road. And then no. when you go into a section of trees like that, you just lose everything and the eyes can't adjust. And especially... got, there's no cat's eyes in the road and there's no. no street lighting. So it is pitch black. Yeah notwithstanding the fact that you are fairly going for it as well yeah so it's not like you're just cruising yeah those those sunset rides were amazing and and that really made the tt to be honest yeah um and then we even had one stage where we sort of switched bikes a bit and sort of yeah we found it we found a quiet stretch of road and just so one thing that really surprised me now we we do slate dad bikes a bit here but (laughs) Well, no, we we appreciate them. For we what appreciate they are, them for what they are, but we call them we call them what they are. Yeah, exactly. So, I thought it was only time for me to try a dad bike out. So I gave the Tiger a rip, and uh, I can actually really appreciate what they're good for. Yeah. After taking one for a ride, so this this Tiger Nine Hundred had the quick shifter, and it had different riding modes. And you jump on the thing, and all of a sudden you feel this road presence. You're like, whoa, okay. You've got the huge screen in front of you, and when you get on the gas. The back end tucks down because the suspension's so soft. It tucks down and you're off and you, you rattle through the gears with the quick shifter. And when you approach a corner, it's a completely different type of cornering to the sports bike where you actually get off the bike, you transfer your weight and then you get into the corner. This, you just sit on top of it and you just pile it in. Mm-hmm. And literally, the suspension compresses mid-corner and then it almost fires you out the other side of the corner. And you can absolutely... I understand why these guys on GSs were flying through the mountain section. Because the bike can just do it. I mean, that's why a lot of people really rate them because they're just good at everything to some extent. Yeah, I have heard that too, actually, to be fair. And, um, you know, it's just, it's understandable. Like, if you're someone that's ridden sports bikes for like 20 years and then you jump on one of those and it feels great, 
Yeah. You're not going to get on anything else. No. So, yeah, hats off to the Tiger. It was an absolute weapon. It was a weapon. So that was pretty much the trip. And, you know, we were there for a week. Had a great time. Yeah. When it came to, to getting the ferry back, it was like different energy on the ferry on the yeah. way home. Everyone's quiet and everyone's sleeping on, you know. Everyone's a bit drained and you, you almost get that holiday blues immediately. You do. You do. And we, I mean, what, what time was our ferry? It must have been about 3, 4 p.m. It was something, it was an evening one, yeah. Exactly. We got into Liverpool at probably half, half six in the evening. Yeah. And I'll be honest, all I wanted to do was just put the bike in a van and, and <laughs> conk out on the passenger seat kind of thing. <laughs> and obviously we had to do the, the five hours back to London, which was which was quite a stint. I mean, the, the nicest thing was the fact that it was just clear skies. Yeah, the weather made up for it. I mean, the only thing that really I suffered with on the triple was just the the riding position as far as your knees, because you've got the rear sets and your legs are bent almost double back on themselves. Um when you sit there for that long, you start getting knee. What well, I do anyway, I get cramps in my knees. Mm. So you, you stretch your legs out every five minutes and then you just have to every hour pull over, have a little rest break, get off the bike, stretch, which was really welcome actually. Yeah, for sure. Um, but then the last stretch for me where we jumped on the M40 was brilliant because I figured out cruise control. So I figured out the cruise control and I and set it up to 70 miles an hour and then I could lean back on the bike and rest my rucksack, which was about 20 odd kilos on the where the pillion seat should be and then just cruise no handed down the down the down the motorway i was i was at this point i was jealous <laughs> I, at this point i was jealous my i think i showed you like when we when we stopped for like the fourth time filling up my right hand was you, just you couldn't open shaking it. <laughs> yeah exactly from holding that throttle open yeah but you know it's one of those rides where you just got to get it done yeah it's like you sit on the motorway and you just churn out the miles and it was such a relief to finally get home at probably half 11 i think i got home yeah and also and like to be alive yeah like because it's such a dangerous event like even going and riding that mountain section unrestricted like it's just so nice to come back on the bike you went on yeah with all your limbs in one piece it's like we're back yeah that's always that's always a nice feeling which you can't say for most events out there well that was the tt that was the tt on to guess the engine i have got something that i think you'll be I think this could stump you. Okay. And it might not, because this this is a bike that you, you will have seen at the TT, but I don't think it will be the first bike that comes to mind. So I'll be interested to see what you think. Well, let's okay. try it. Okay, well, I actually got quite a bit from that clip. To okay, oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. So I could hear the quick shifter when he was uh, yeah. setting off. I knew you'd catch that. And it's a twin. Yep. By the sounds of it. And it's a high performance twin. Yep. You can hear it's quite high strung. Now, there's quite a few high performance twins that were at the TT. True. With quick shifters. True. So it's figuring out where it's from first. So I'm going to go with European. Yeah, correct. So Italian? No. It's not Italian. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, there's not much left as far as... No, there's German? No. Okay, now I'm pretty stumped. Yeah, I knew knew this would happen. Interesting. European. What? Mm. 
now I'm going to try to figure out what genre of bike it is because there's a lot of bikes that could use a, a twin like that. What comes to mind? Well, I want to say a sports bike or a super naked. Yeah, the naked. The super naked. I don't know if it's a super naked, but it's definitely but it's naked. naked. It's naked, yeah. Okay, so it's a naked V-twin. Not a V-twin. Not a V-twin. Ooh. No. Is it a KTM? Yes. Okay, it's a KTM. So it's not a Super Duke because no, the Super Duke's a V-twin. A KTM with a quick shifter that's a naked. So it's, is it like a 790 Duke? Yeah. It's a 790 Duke. Nailed it. Yeah, I wouldn't have jumped at that first you know off the bat that was actually interesting to hear because i think you i think you weren't sure but your just knowledge just was like autonomous it was like just running through the options it's a process of elimination yes yeah, so that's a 790 juke with a with a quick shifter and a nice open pipe it's quite a good sounding it bike does sound though. good sounds really good and with a quick shifter yeah i don't think i've ever actually heard one no with a quick shifter cool. so i've got something that's completely un-tt related okay but let's try you out Okay. You want the startup again? Well, uh, well, hang on. Firstly, my first comment is, you know, I mean, we got like half a rev. Yeah, I... That's a lot of idle and like half a rev. So we haven't got much to work with. But let, let's go on and say the startup just soon. Okay, okay, that's enough. Okay, so that, that yeah, that's interesting. My, I mean, my first thought is single cylinder. Yeah. But, yeah, it is. But that startup is kind of weird because it's slow. Quite loaded. Yeah, it is loaded. I it doesn't sound like it's new at all. It's definitely yeah. it's definitely old. It's I I my 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 thoughts are like mid capacity single. Yeah. Like maybe five hundred cc around that ballpark. Yeah, yeah, because it's got that thump, but it's there's like performance would not be a word I'd use. No, <laughs> it's quite lazy. Yeah, it's definitely lazy. But then it's not like it's not a one two five. It's not it's not a yeah. hair dryer. It's like somewhere in between. It reminded me. It reminded me a bit of when we was um when we were at the TT and we saw that matchless go past and it's just that like do 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 do. Yeah. Now I'm gonna say it's a European single. It's not. Okay, that's very interesting. So it's Japanese. <laughs> it's Japanese. A Japanese single. I'm gonna say it's it's not gonna be a Suzuki. It's not a Suzuki. It's not a Honda. I wouldn't rule it out. It's a Honda. Yeah. I mean, you've still got quite a vast range of single cylinder Hondas to choose from. Okay, it's a Honda single. That's actually not what I thought it would be. Because um, Hondas are usually just so well kept, whereas that just sounds, it sounds slow. Yeah, it might be a bit neglected. Um, is this pre-inline four? So, no, there would have been inline fours being manufactured at this time. Okay. But you wouldn't get this type of bike with the inline four. Okay, so we're, we're, we're looking at the kind of 70s, 80s. Yeah, more the latter. Okay, around the 80s. I think we need to talk about the style of bike. Yeah, that's probably a wise uh, point to start. It's not going to be sporty. It's not going to be um, a scooter. There's one category that you've just completely missed. I've completely overlooked. This is this is 
when you when you're in the driver's seat, it's so easy to think about it. But when you're thinking, it's like there's no, if there's sports bikes and cruisers. Uh, you wouldn't want this bike for high speed riding. You probably really wouldn't want this bike for around town. Okay. You'd want this bike for the open road, and it would be comfortable. It would be comfortable. It doesn't sound comfortable, but I, I'm sure it would be. Yeah. Okay, so it's not, I mean, it's not a cruiser. It's not a cruiser. And it's not a naked bike. No. It's not an adventure bike. It's, it could be adventure <laughs> So you're saying it's an adventure bike? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. I think, I think it falls into that genre because it's not peppy enough to be a performance bike. Okay. But I, I think. But it's, it's not like Africa twin sized adventure well we ruled out any enduro looking machines it's not going to be i'm I'm not thinking monoshock you know why it's 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 monoshock okay so okay because it's not not it's monoshock it has pillion capacity yeah because i was because i'd initially think xr you know xr 400 but it's not but it's not an enduro bike what is an enduro bike is an xr an enduro bike well isn't like High front mug guard, yeah, we square didn't... headlight, yeah, like like an old enduro. Is it an XR? XR? It's, it's an XR. XR four hundred. Bit bigger. XR six six fifty. Yes. It's okay. So it's an XR six fifty L. Let's see a photo. That is that is an enduro bike. You think that's an enduro bike? Yeah, because that's what it. Because that that's like a that's what the lads um use even now like for Baja. You know, back in the day, for enduro, they didn't really have like a big selection, two fifties, and all that kind of stuff. They more had, you know, it's bikes like those heavy bikes like that that you had to lug around. Okay, fair enough. That is that's that's good. Maybe that's a poor categorization on my no, part. No, 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 not at all, not at all. That was good. Right, Q and A. Yeah, let's do it. So I've got one from South Coast Saab, and it's best type of places to stay slash where for the TT. I would say, I would say if you can, if you can get an Airbnb. Yeah, and be under a roof that will pay dividends. Yeah, or a hotel if you can get the booking in early enough. Hotel or Airbnb will be top tier because you've obviously got the shower, you've got internet, you've got place to store food, you can cook your own meals. So then you're saving on going out to eat every evening, and it's just nice to come back to a, a roof over your head. Now we've got one from Vina Yasaki saying, "From London to having fun riding on the Isle of Man TT, how much money did you spend altogether?" It's a good question, actually. So let's think. So the Airbnb, we had to divvy it up between a few of us, but it ended up being around £400 each for the week. I, I, yeah, I reckon it was just shy of two grand for the for the whole thing. Maybe like 1,500 quid yeah, per, per head. With the bear, fuel and stuff. Yeah, bearing in mind, we went through a, like, a tank of fuel a day. Yeah, and... you are on the bike a lot, so you've got to bear that in mind. Yeah. Here's another one from NM Dellison 5, and it's, was it worth it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. I would, no, just, you've you've got to do it. If you're a biker and you've never been, you've just got to make one, you've got to set one year aside and just say, this year I'm going to the TT because you have to see it. Yeah, I totally agree. Before they decide to, you know, start trying to rule it out or yeah. shut it down. So yeah, definitely do it. Yeah, I think if they ever do cancel it, like they're cancelling yeah. everything these days, you want to have been Yeah. to, you know, to say you've been and, and have experienced that because I don't think you will ever get anything like it ever, no. ever again. It's no. like, you know, if you had the idea tomorrow, no one is going to say that's a it. clever idea. Yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, do it hundred percent. Now here, Onfred rides says, "What is your dream bike for the TT Mountain section?" Oh, that's a good question, actually. Yeah. Dream bike for the TT Mountain section. So it would have to be a sports bike, and it would have to be from the top. I would say the top three for me. Yeah. Would be the R1M, the the Panigale V4, SP maybe. Yeah, love it. To really push it out there. Go on. And uh, maybe an Aprilia RSV4. That would be my top selection of bikes. Yeah. What Perfect. about you? Well, I think for me, I would say I'd love to jump on a Daytona 765. Yeah. Like the Moto2 edition. Yeah. With a full nice arrow system. Because then there's not too much power that I... Because I, would, I just wouldn't want to die. I'd, I'd want to just be enjoy able to really it. enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Because... I was when I was sending it on the triple, thinking I'm going fast, going up that hill from Bungalow. Yeah, I topped out my fastest time was 157. Yeah, and I'd have an R1M pass me not long afterwards, probably doing 170 something plus. Yeah, that's nuts. And it's just like, yeah, it's wow. crazy. So I've got another tick uh, question. Sorry, from George VD, and it says total cost for the weekend ticket stay, etc. So there's not actually any tickets for the tt you just pay to get to the island pay for your accommodation and then you just watch wherever you can fit in or wherever you want to watch from so it's not it's not a ticketed event it's not like bsb or gp where you're paying tickets and bookings etc so yeah now finest designs every, oh, every week brings out a peach now he hasn't he's just gone simple with this and it's chicken strips question mark <laughs> well that is a good question so I managed to shave mine down over the course of the trip, day by day, bit by bit. And left-handers are my more confident corner naturally. So the left side of my tyre, I've probably had, what would you say, maybe five mil left to spare on the tyre. I was yeah. halfway through the lettering on the side of the tyre and the right side a little bit more. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy with how they turned out. And I did manage to shred the, the super course on the one stretch. It was all sort of rolled up. Now... ZBVN is asking top three locations to watch the race. Top three. What are your What are your top three? Well, considering we, how many locations did we do? Maybe five or six. Yeah, something like that. Um, so I definitely enjoyed Barragaro. Yeah, that was a hundred percent a wicked spot. And if you can get there early enough to be on the bridge and see that corner up close, that that's got to be mind blowing. Um. So yeah, that'll be in my top three. I I really enjoyed Bungalow. Yeah. Because you just see them do that chicane and their elbow down some of them. Yeah, it's cool. And it's, it's really cool. And then you get to listen to them send it up the hill. So that was a great spot. And then I would say the start finish. Yeah, grandstand. Grandstand. Yeah, that was good. Because when they come in after they've done their pit lap and then they're just flying by for the following few laps, you get to see them send it down that hill at full speed. Yeah, through like their main town. It's, yeah. just, it's just bonkers. <laughs> it's bonkers. Yeah, it's truly bonkers. Yeah, I would say my top three are probably, I really enjoyed Crosby Leap. Yeah, that was good. Which on the bottom section of the track, they just come flying over at 180 and just wiggling on the back. Yeah. Wheel. That's just crazy. And then I would say the bottom of Bray Hill, which we didn't actually do, Yeah, is is actually very similar to Barrett Garrett in the sense that they're right on the inside and they, and they just ping through that corner and they yeah. bottom out. We'll have to do that next year. Yeah, 100%. That, that's a pretty mind-blowing corner. And then I would say the third one would probably be... I enjoyed Windy Corner. I thought that was a really... Yeah, like, it was just, a good spot. Just a great day. So, uh, yeah. 
be my top three. Now, before we wrap things up, Go on. I have a little story to share. Oh, no. Yeah, from this weekend. So I went to a friend, a couple of us went over on bikes, had my partner on the back, and we cruised out of town, and the weather was scorching yesterday. So we get there, and it's in the middle of the countryside, loads of fields and stuff, and he's like, yeah, we've got loads of gravel tracks we can ride around. So we chilled out for a bit, and we're looking at cars and bikes, etc., and then set off on these gravel tracks in the afternoon, and we're cruising around slowly. I mean, I had a pillion on the back, so I was going quite slow. We did a little quarry, ripped it around there for a bit, and then we were just following this river, and it was a bit rutted, so I'm in one of the ruts, riding along, and I can see in the distance that the rut's getting deeper, and I'm thinking like, you know, foot peg scraping deep. So I'm thinking, okay, I've got to get out of this rut. So I find a spot where it's shallower, and I think, yeah, we'll just bump it up here. And I turn the front wheel, and I just get zero grip, because the, the dirt was just solid. And when it's dried out in the sun so much, it starts cracking and it was a bit dusty and slick. So I, I tried to corner and the front just slid. And down I went onto the left side. Stood up and I sort of grazed all my, my left side up. And it's uh, pretty uh, stingy is the word. Um, yeah, I bet it is. And picked the bike up only to see that I'd done another shifter lever. So how many is that now that, we've, that you've done? Sorry. That I've done. So I'm, that would have been number three. That's number three. That's number three. Fair enough. So see if we can make make number four before the end of the summer. <laughs> so are you, have you learned? Are you going to buy more than one now? When you yes, for the mile, I'm bringing extra. <laughs> I'm bringing extra shifter levers and clutch levers and brake levers. Yeah, because you can never have enough. Yeah. Well, I respect you getting up, dusting yourself off, and getting back on the bike. Yeah. Luckily, the friend had a um a spare shifter lever from motocross bikes, and so now I have this kicked out really far to the side with a blue anodized end. Okay, last question from me. How did it feel getting back on the Bonnie, having spent all that time on the Speed Triple RR? Analog. Very, very mechanical, analog. Like a tractor, almost. Everything, the triple was so refined in every aspect, the fueling, the throttle, the braking, the suspension, that you can tell it's a brand new bike and you get the, the best riding experience out of it. Going back to the Bonnie, which is, you know, almost 20 years old, and you've got a springy front end and squidgy brakes and heavy clutch and no quick shifter and it's on knobbly tires it just it's night and day honestly it's completely i almost didn't feel familiar with the bonnie anymore got back on it and i was like what is this thing <laughs> it just felt like a tractor so agricultural but no, i love it i love it and i've been on it now for a couple of days and we're sort of back in the saddle and uh, enjoying life well there you have it that's been the tt catch-up yeah, if you're thinking about going, book your ferry. Yeah, do it now. We, you know, comes highly recommended from us. Yeah. And yeah, what a trip. And accommodation, get that booked as well. Yeah, but wait till we've booked ours because we want to make... Yeah, please. Just, just give, us, <laughs> give us a week, give us a week yeah. and, then, and then book it. It's great to be back. It is. And uh, yeah, looking forward to next week. We should have quite an exciting episode. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, and massive thanks to Motone again. Yeah, appreciate that. Keeping us sweet and... Uh, that's us signing off. Catch you next week. Cheers. In a bit.